0: We do get to continue this Everyday Disciple series, Being Like Jesus in Everyday Life. And as Eugene mentioned, we're talking about being uh, a disciple online. And you, you may ask, well, Mike, why are we talking about that? It's because it's such a part of our world and our society today that we've got to talk about it. Um, we would be remiss to not talk about it. We can't ignore it and, and, and treat it like the elephant in the room. People are on Uh, the social media platforms, you're online, it's really replaced TV in our culture. Used to growing up, everybody you know, would sit around and watch TV every evening. People don't watch TV like that anymore, but people do scroll through the social media feeds now. Our kids are growing up in a world that's so different than what we grew up in, so we've got to understand the benefits and the risk associated with it, and we've got to talk about it. Uh, I put a little uh, poll online. Some of you saw it on our Connect at Cornerstone Facebook group. Uh, Does social media make the world a better place? Did y'all see that? Um, Our informal poll here at Cornerstone, 93% of the people said no. It does not make the world a better place. Only 7% said yes. Uh, I will quote my wife, who I think had a good insight. She said, I think there are good things that come from social media and the ways it can be used for good, but as a whole, the world is not a better place because of it. The division, the disconnection, the distraction, the anxiety, the comparison, and self-absorption it promotes outweighs the good. With that said, it is here and we can leverage it for the kingdom, but still be aware of what it has done to our society. I think she was pretty spot on with her her comments there. I think when you look at it, we can see the negative effects it has had, but we could either sit around and complain about it, or we could jump in and do something about it and leverage it for good. And you can imagine, since we're talking about it today, which direction I'm going to take. Instead of, you know, getting up here and condemning it, I want to redeem it. I want to redeem it and turn it and use it For good, and so here's my question for you this morning: Do you think it's going away anytime soon? No, it's here to stay, guys. And so today we're going to look at uh, how our use of technology it can be a witness for our faith. Now, I I, I do this from time to time. I think this is a topic you've got to be educated on. And as if you're a parent, especially, I want to give you some resources, some books. Uh, that you can go and check out if you've not read them yet or have not seen them. One that was really good uh, was by Andy Crouch. It's called The Tech Wise Family, Uh, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. It's a really good book. Uh, John Eldridge wrote a book not long ago called Get Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad. Um, uh, There's another book that I've read that I enjoyed, Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life. Uh, in a noisy world. Uh, if you've not seen it yet, um, I'm hesitant to recommend this, but it's, it, you should watch it. It's The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Right? Uh, you should watch that. It, it's, it, it will shock you a little bit to see what uh, social media is doing to our society. Um, it's a little alarmist. It's a little one of those, I don't agree with everything in it, but a little cheesy at times, but it's, it, it'll wake you up a little bit. Uh, And then on the other side, there are some books out there that talk about how we can use online for discipleship. Uh, Nona Jones, who works for Facebook, she wrote one called From Social Media to Social Ministry, A Guide to Digital Discipleships. Really good book. Uh, Dave Adamson wrote one called Meta Church, How to Use Digital Ministry to Reach People and Make Disciples. And so there's a lot out there. There's a lot out there that you can say. Another book, I've not read it yet, but I keep seeing it quoted, and I want to read it, is The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain. And so that's not a Christian book, but it's just out there just talking about what is. There's so many resources, and it seems like everybody's talking about this right now because we're starting to see the effects of what has happened to children who have grown up in this digital world. We're starting to see what's happened and how it's affected the way they think, the way they interact. And, and, and I'll tell you, one of the things that we see all the time now is like kids are afraid to talk to each other, right? They don't want to talk on the phone. They would rather text. They can be sitting right across and they'll text, but you ask them to pick up the phone. I don't want to talk. I hate calling. And that's almost like universal. People do not like social interaction. Um, Even though we live in a social media world, it's removed the social connections. And and so that's why this is so important to talk about. Now, as a church, we're not afraid to use technology to reach people. Um, I'm thankful that we started live streaming probably four years before COVID hit. Uh, it put us in a unique position to really be able to reach people in our community when we shut down for those few months during COVID and, and to be able to keep connected with people who were unable to attend in person. I'm thankful for that. Um, it, it's interesting to me that we have a number of people that join us online each week. Some are unable to be here physically. Some live in different places, but they're staying connected and they're still part of our extended church Family, and so when COVID though hit, it, it gave us a, a unique opportunity to, to ask some questions about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And uh, some things have surprised us a little bit. Um, one of the things that we see across the country and in churches, and we're seeing, and I've seen so many people talk about this, is online viewership is way, way, way down the last six months. Um, and I think there was such a surge. During the, the 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 early years of COVID, and now it's like tanked, and people are just not really. And what that shows is people will use online resources to stay connected for a season, but long term, it's not really working. Um, and, and so that, that that poses some unique challenges. How do we move people from being? online attenders to in-person attenders, right? I think that's a, a goal. I think every church I would hope would say uh, online is not bad, but it doesn't replace the the physical gathering of the saints in the church, right? It, it can't replace it. It, it, it supplements it. It, it. It's nice to have when you're on vacation. It's good to have when you're unable to be here. And it, it's a way to reach people who may not come to church in the first place, but it doesn't replace uh, what we do here on Sunday morning. And that kind of brings me to my first point this morning I want, I want to share with you is the internet and social media, they are tools that can be used for good or for evil. I, I, I would. It's not inherently evil, uh, but it can be evil, not inherently good, but it can be good. And so it's how we use those tools that determine, really, the effectiveness of them. Um, I've heard Craig Rochelle, who's a pastor in Oklahoma, he said many times, to reach people no one is reaching, we have to do things that no one is doing. And and I believe uh, you look at our world and people aren't going to come and just knock down our doors and and show up at church because you have a nice sign or because you have good coffee or because you have a good worship team. It's going to take relationships. It's going to take connection. And to reach people that, that aren't being reached, we're going to have to do some things differently. And technology is a place, the social media world is a place where we can go and have a presence and meet people where they are. 1 Peter says this. It says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. All right. And if someone asks you about the hope, about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants and to suffer for doing wrong. Uh, what I love about that passage is it says we always need to be ready to give an answer. I, I, it doesn't matter where we're at. If we're in person, if we're at work, if we're at school with our families, at the grocery store. I've had so many people like uh, just stop me and ask me questions about church or about faith out in public. And you have to be ready. And not just because I'm a pastor, but all of us, we've got to be ready. Because you don't know when God is going to give you an opportunity to say something. But social media gives you a unique opportunity to do that. Because all the time you are seeing people talk about problems. Amen? You're seeing people post about crisis they're going through. Uh, about life problems. About conflict and families. And uh, you, you see people at their lowest sometimes. It gives us an opportunity to jump in. Not to beat them over the head. But to share hope and truth and love. And and, and share Jesus with them in their time of need and so if you start thinking about that social media can be good or it can be evil right you you think about it we can use it for good we can stay connected with families and uh, that's one of the things that I still enjoy about social media is being able to stay connected to to our extended family and see and college friends, and see pictures, and and, and all the stuff from people we've not seen in years, but we're able to stay connected. But then on the flip side, you see the anxiety, you see the cyberbullying, you see all that stuff. You see the uh, the the gossip. Matthew twelve says this. Jesus says that everyone will give an account for every word that they speak. Every word that they speak, you're going to give a, 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 an account now. I, I would add that you're going to give an account for every word you type as well. And that's a little scary. It's a little scary. Every email you sent, every text message you sent, every comment you posted, every tweet you tweeted, every everything you've done, you're going to give an account for it one day before God. And, and that scares me a little bit because I see how people use online to do things that they would never do in person. You know, it also scares me because the internet doesn't forget. All right. If If you post something out of anger, you post something out of immaturity, you post something that you shouldn't. And kids, remember this. You may think it's something silly or childish now, but when you're in a job interview five years from now or 10 years from now, it's still there. We're seeing this all the time that the repercussions of people saying things kind of come, you know, and it may be stupidity, it may be immaturity, it may just be silliness, but you lose that context over time. And what happens? You you see that the internet doesn't forget. It doesn't delete. You can't delete stuff. And you can't trust Snapchat or TikTok or Instagram. You can't trust them that your posts are going to stay private. In in James chapter 3, this is what James says about how we use our voice. And again, I would say this is online. This is in person. But he says this, sometimes, right, our mouth, it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. This applies to what you type and what you share and what you post just as much as what you speak. Do you use your your, your online one minute to to type out and share a Bible verse saying, oh, this is so awesome and this is so great. And the next minute you're like, I'll tell you one thing. If this person does this one more time, I'm going to, I'm so tired of posts like that. I'm so tired of people complaining about family, complaining about businesses, complaining about every, you know, what we, and, and I'll just, again, James says, can blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? Can blessing and cursing can they they shouldn't and, and so you know and I will say this too on social media, and this is where it gets I think it's used for evil, even when we don't realize it. You think sometimes well, I'm not sharing gossip, so I'm not really participating in gossip, but you're reading it. Amen Is there any difference? If you're consuming it, if you're reading if you're forming opinions of people you don't really even know based on what they've said and what other people, it's gossip, right? According uh, to this US based cyberbullying research center, 36% of kids aged between 12 and 17 um, have been targeted online for bullying already. 68% of children. Uh, have gone through online harassment. Uh, victims of cyberbullying are 1.9 times more likely to commit suicide. This is the world that our kids are growing up in. This is what we've got to be aware of. And parents, you are responsible to guide your children into what they consume on social media. Now, it used to be a big deal, like when we grew up, it, some kids had TVs in the room, and like some people, oh, that's evil, you shouldn't let kids have TVs in your room. Now, kids at a young, young age have phones on all the time, going anywhere they want to uh, without supervision. One of the things uh, I, I've seen in, in, in church and and uh, in, in just life in general is that, the average age of exposure to pornography has really gone much lower now. Kids at a much younger age are getting exposed to pornography. Why? Because they have access to it. That, that's scary a little bit. Again, the internet can be used for good or for evil. It's also good that we have so much access to information that we've never really had before where we can learn and grow and expand our knowledge and understanding of the world we live in. But we've got to be careful with that, with that, with that knowledge. And, and that kind of leads me to my next point. I feel like we can use the internet for good. And it, when we use it to do discipleship uh, from a distance, uh, discipleship from a distance. Now, what do I mean by this? Uh, well, I, this is how I explain it to church, and I've worked with churches some on this, um, I, and I have for a long time, doing websites and social media work and stuff, and, and I'll tell them this. You can use Facebook, you can use social media, you can use it to create conversations, you can use it to build relationships, you can use it to challenge people to take their next step for Christ. And think about those three things. You use it to create conversations with people who you may not normally have a conversation with. You can use it to build relationships. You can use it to challenge people to to move from where they are to where God really wants them to be. And it's balancing those uses and how you can do discipleship from a distance. Paul, if you think about what Paul did in the New Testament, Paul was a letter writer. Uh, He was a letter writer, and he wrote letters to churches. What did he do? To instruct them, to correct wrong behavior, to encourage them, to reach out to his friends. Paul used the technology of his day, which was a letter, to, to really disciple people that he was not in close contact with. Almost every letter, that Ephesians starts out this way. Uh, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And Almost every letter opens with this, uh, this type of introduction where he says, this is who I am, this is why I'm writing, this is who I'm writing to. And so Paul is using this to reach people for Jesus. Dave, Adam and Dave Adamson said this. He said, The irony is, even the in person church model most of us follow today flies in the face of the Apostle Paul, the most well-known New Testament writer. Paul was rarely in person to meet with the church communities that he started and he pastored. He relied heavily on the technology of his day to teach them, to encourage them, to stay connected with him. The technology of Paul's day was letter writing. And he, went, he said, for those of you under the age of 30, letter writing is when you have a piece of paper, you push a pen down onto it, and you move your wrist around to form Letters. And can I just say, i got to talk about our youth here for a minute, and Jennifer, you may get me for this, but she had them at youth camp all write a letter to themselves that would be delivered at a, a future date and had them all address it. I think out of all the letters that were they wrote, maybe like one was addressed correctly. Our youth don't know how to write letters. They don't know how to address envelopes. They don't know how to write checks. They don't know how to do these things, which getting off on another topic, that's probably why when you have to register for the Fiddlers Convention by sending a letter and form online and mail it with a check, that's probably why attendance is going down every year. (laughs) Just saying, that may be an idea. If you're in the Moose Lodge, that may be an idea. If you want younger people to come, you're going to have to give them a way to register that does not involve letter writing because they don't know how to do it. Okay. Um, Social media is the technology of today. Letter writing was the technology of the New Testament era. But now we have podcasts, we have video on demand, we have live streaming, we have YouTube. Yet, if we use this technology in the way Paul did, it would be to encourage, to build up, to teach, to equip, to correct. That's when we read through Paul's letters, he was, I mean... He was direct, he was to the point, he was loving, but he was not afraid to call out behavior, right? And so as a church, I mean, why why can't we use the technology of our day to reach people where they are? I'll tell you that almost every person um, that visits this church, when we ask, how did you find this church? Almost unequivocally, almost every time, it's, oh, I found you online, and I've already watched services before you've attended in person. Almost every time, that's what we hear. "I, I, I found you online, I did a Google search, I was looking up churches, sometimes it's, I drove by and saw your sign, but then I went online and researched it. That's what people do today. Before you go somewhere, I do that with restaurants. I'm like, that looks cool, but I'm going to check out the reviews before I go. I do that. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a researchaholic. Okay, <laughs> maybe you're like, I, I research everything uh, before I go and before I experience it because I want to know where do I park, what do we do, how do we get there, what do we, and what does it cost, and all and and for church people are asking the same questions where do I park where do my kids go how long do the services last what do I expect why because they're 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 figuring out they're getting their questions answered online did you realize that the the first largest search engine in the world of course is google do you know what the second is It's youtube that's where people go to ask questions how do i fill in the blank how do i you know I when you're working on your house and you're like, how do I, you fill in a blanket. That's, that's where you go to learn how to do stuff now at it, 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 YouTube. And so what about if the church got in social media and people say, how do I fix my marriage? How do I uh, read my Bible? How do I develop my prayer life? How do I handle conflict at work? What if the answers to those questions are the churches and the Christians providing scriptural Bible-based answers to people who are hurting? That's how we redeem social media and do discipleship. We answer questions that people are asking. We get online and we use it to really reach people. And so instead of letting social media influence us, What if we started using it to influence others for Christ? Creating conversations, building relationships, challenging people to take their next step. And that kind of leads me then, okay, if we're going to do that, we've got to develop a plan. And so we've got to develop a plan. We've got to learn how to share to the crowd, to the 12, and to the three. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to put this out there. This is my opinion. This is not scripture. I think a lot of people online overshare. Okay. I'm just going to say it. A lot of people post stuff online that does not need to be posted online. And we in person. Now, there are certain things you would not stand up in the middle of Walmart and say, attention, attention to everybody. I've got toenail fungus and I want everybody to, to pray for me. That would, you, you? That's weird, right? <laughs> you just don't do that. So why do you post it online for everybody to read? I don't want to read that stuff, okay? And I especially don't want to see pictures of it. <laughs> so just stop it. Stop it, stop it. you got to quit doing that. You share differently to the crowd versus... Now, you may have your three close friends... That you can reach out to and say, hey, guys, I need you to pray about this. And that's fine. But don't post it for everybody. There is a difference. You, do you all remember that there used to be a social media app called Foursquare? I don't remember that. It was kind of short-lived. But what everybody would do would post and they would check. And I was on it, so I can't make too much fun of it. But people would check in wherever they went. And if you checked in enough times, you could become a mayor of the place. Like you could be... I remember, I was like, I got mayor of uh, El Torito one time, I think, or somewhere. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, because I'm just going there all the time. But, you know, it doesn't exist now. You know why? Oh, it does exist, but nobody uses it. You know why? Because nobody cares where you're eating. Nobody cares. So why do you post about every place you go and everything you do? That doesn't need to go out to the, the crowd. I've got like on Facebook, I've got a couple thousand friends. I don't know all those people. They don't need to know details about my life and my medical history and my kids. And there are certain things that need to stay private that need to be shared with the people I'm close to. And so you need a plan for what to share to the crowd. How are you going to encourage those people that are connected to you without oversharing? So Jesus, you look at his life. He often attracted huge crowds. Even the, the thousands would come and listen to him. They would come for the whole day and he would teach them. He would teach them and on times he even fed them, right? But he was never just satisfied with the large groups. He would call out smaller groups of people from that. He had a group of disciples that followed him out. The 72 that he would send out, the, the 12 that followed him and And at times, it seemed like Jesus was trying to run them off. It was interesting. He's like, do you really want to follow me? Do you really want to do what I'm doing? Do you realize that you're not going to have anywhere to sleep? Do you realize the cost of discipleship? He's like, this is not an easy life you're living. He challenged them. He spoke to those 12 very differently than he spoke to the crowd. And then out of the 12, there were three Right, Peter, James, and John that he would draw away with and spend more time and challenge even further. In our lives, I feel like that's a pattern we need to have. There's the crowd, those people that, that we have influence with, that we're connected to, we may be online friends with, but we don't really know that well. There are things we can share with them and encourage them and post for them but we don't post everything for them. And then there's a 12, and, and those are the people, your, your, your closer friends, the, the ones who you are doing life with, the people in your life group. And maybe you have a message thread, a, a text message thread or a Facebook messenger thread. Maybe you have a private group you're a part of. You have some way, though, that you can share and encourage each other and maybe list out some of the things that you're really going through. That the world doesn't need to know about, but those closest to you need to know about. And then you need to have the three that you can really go deep with. You can share anything. You can do life. So so in your life, how are you speaking to the crowd? How are you speaking to the 12? How are you speaking to the three? And what processes are you using online and in person uh, to do that? But if I could just say, just be careful what you post. Be careful. Don't post things that are going to embarrass your kids. Don't post things that people don't need to know about if they aren't close to you. Right? Don't post criticism of your spouse. Please, please don't do that. And I see this far too often. But we speak to the crowd, to the 12, and to the 3 differently. Ephesians 4 says this, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well, all, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I'll just tell you, so much of what I read online is not helpful. It's not good. A lot of it's gossip. I love how Dave Ramsey defines gossip. It's, any, it's discussing anything negative with someone who can't help solve the problem. So when you use that definition of gossip, how much online of what you read is gossip? When people are complaining about things that you have no power to fix or they have no power to fix, it's gossip. So don't participate in it. James says this, if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. It's worthless. If you can't control your tongue, if you can't control what you type, if you can't control what you post, then your religion is worthless. So, I want to close with this, our response. Do you use the internet to make much of yourself or do you use it to make much of Jesus? That's what it comes down to. Do we use it to, 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 to make it all about ourselves? And look at me and look at what I'm doing. And have you been to a beach or anywhere like that or a vacation spot lately? All you see are people out there posing and taking pictures of themselves. Why? Because we're using the internet to, to, for, to, to paint a picture of ourselves that's flattering. We, we want to make ourselves look better than we really are. Or are we using the internet to make much of Jesus? You look in the Bible, you know, when people ask Jesus, what's really important? I mean, you look in Deuteronomy, Moses gave the Ten Commandments to the people, and the, the religious leaders are saying, well, which commandments are the most important? And Jesus said in Mark 12... Of all, you know, in verse 29, I'll skip down. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So how do we do that? I want to close with six things that Andy Crouch shares about how we, kept, how we keep technology in its proper place. Six things. First, technology is in its proper place when it helps us bond with the real people we have been given to love. It's out of its proper place when we end up bonding with people at a distance like celebrities whom we will never meet. The second, technology is in its proper place when it starts great conversations. It's out of its proper place when it prevents us from talking with and listening to one another. The third thing, technology is in its proper place when it helps us take care of the fragile bodies we inhabit. It's out of its proper place when it promises to help us escape the limits and vulnerabilities of our bodies altogether. The fourth thing, technology is in its proper place when it helps us acquire skill and mastery of domains that are the glory of human culture, sports and music and arts and cooking and writing and accounting, the list could go on and on. But when we let technology replace the development of skill with passive consumption, something has gone wrong. Five, technology is in its proper place when it helps us cultivate awe for the created world we are part of and responsible for stewarding. It's out of its proper place when it keeps us from engaging the wild and wonderful natural world with all of our senses. And six, technology is in its proper place when we use it with intention and care. If there's one thing I've discovered about technology is that it does not stay in its proper place on its own. Much like my children's toys and stuffed creatures and minor treasures, it finds its way underfoot all over the house and all over our lives. If we aren't intentional and careful, we end up with an extraordinary mess. And so, does your use of technology point people to Jesus or alienate people from Jesus? I think that's the question we need to be asking today. Let's, let's close in prayer, and the praise team's going to come back up. Heavenly Father... In this series, we've been diving in and talking about our everyday life and how we live for you. And Lord, I pray that we would be known to be different from the world around us, that instead of being conformed to this world, we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we would know what is good and acceptable and pleasing and perfect to you. My prayer is that we would be different in what we share and in how we share it. My prayer is that we would be people who are known to be making much of Jesus and how we live our life. And that includes how we live our life online. Lord, help us to develop relationships and, and, and create conversations and help people to, to find their way back to you and take their next step with you. And Heavenly Father, my prayer is for each and every person that's here today that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, without any question, that they belong to you, that they have been saved, that they have been transformed, that they ha- have been made new, that that they have given their life to you. And so, Heavenly Father, that's our prayer today, that people would know that they have put their faith and their trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone to save them. And so as we close today, as we worship, as we surrender again to you, Lord. Will you just help us to put Jesus first in our life and first for everyone else to see? May we lift him up so others can be drawn to him. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.